Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Rogers Assembly. We are starting a brand new series today entitled Stranger Things. Um, and so uh, how many of you guys like strange things? Right? How many of you guys just are strange things? Maybe you were born into a family of strange things, right? Stranger things. And so, uh, so uh, we're coming off just a, a, a great series on Psalm 23. And I thought, you know what, let's, uh, I, 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 the, the Lord just laid on my heart to do something just a little bit uh, off wall. You know, there's so many great stories in the Bible. If you open up the Bible and you just begin to read, maybe you went to children's church and grew up in Sunday school and that type of stuff. There's, there's so many wonderful stories. There's stories like David and Goliath. You know, I mean, who can forget the skinny little scrawny shepherd boy that is is uh he goes up against the the fiercest warrior of the philistines a giant named goliath right it's the greatest underdog story maybe in the bible and 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 we still quote it a lot and when you watch sports games of every upset you know oh this is truly a a david and goliath story or or there's noah's noah in the ark you know where the the earth was becoming evil and so god told noah to build uh, a, a great big art and, ark, and it took him 120 years to, to build that ark. And, uh, and, and, and the whole earth was flooded, and the animals came two by two, and everything in the ark was just led to safety. And what a great story. Or, or, or there's so many wonderful stories that in, in the life of Jesus. Uh, like, the, like the time there was a blind man, and... and uh, Jesus was about ready to heal him, but Jesus does something really weird. He, he spits down into the, the dirt. Then he rubs that dirt, and he takes the dirt and puts it on the eye of the blind, and that blind person receives sight. And there's so many really, really awesome, cool stories that maybe we've learned throughout um, our, our uh, discipleship process. Um, but there's also some obscure stories. There's also some strange stories. There's also some stories that are really dramatic or they're just plain bizarre. And those are the stories that your Sunday school teacher probably never shared with you growing up. But your pastor will. All right? So these are in the style of, if you're old like me, maybe in the style of Ripley's Believe It or Not. You know, when they place an oddity there. Maybe if you're younger than me, maybe this could read like a plot line out of Stranger Things. You know, so today in, well actually in the series, we're just going to tackle a lot of stories in the Bible that you probably don't even know that they're there. So I was talking to some people um, on Wednesday night, telling them, hey, we're going to talk about strange stories in the Bible. So it might get a little bit weird today. Is that okay? Right? Somebody said it got weird a long time ago, right? It's been weird, right? So nothing is new. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, open them to 2 Kings chapter 2 with me. Uh, that's where we're going to be at today. And, uh, and we're going to dive into a sermon today that I'm entitling The Bald News Bear. I can tell Jim's already on board. 
Jim already feels the anointing flowing through this place, right? Just in the title, The Bald News Bears. Now, this is a story about Elisha the prophet, but before we get to Elijah, I have to just kind of set the background information. Um, we know that Elisha followed the prophet Elijah. How many of you guys are like me and you get them confused up and down all day long? I still don't know the difference between Elijah and Elisha, right? Is that you, right? All right, how many of you guys are dyslexic and you just get that confused, right? Or you fake dyslexic dyslexia because you're just not bright, right? Right? That's me too. I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but I, I got those two confused all my life. Now, at this point in the story, Elijah, if you remember, Elijah was taken up into heaven um, in supernatural fashion by a whirlwind. And Elisha, his, uh, his um, follower, was, was right there with him, and he saw the whole thing happen. And Elijah was taken up into heaven by supernatural means, by a whirlwind. And Eli as Elijah is ascending into heaven, uh, Elisha looks up and he sees the host of heaven's armies. He sees chariots and he sees warriors. And it's at that moment where Elisha receives what the Bible calls a double portion of God's spirit. So he receives this double portion. Um, and Elisha, uh, you know, after Elijah's already taken, Elisha comes back down and he begins to tell uh, Elijah's followers what had just happened. And they do not believe him. And so they think that, hey, maybe this is just a human whirlwind. Maybe this is just something. And so they beg Elisha to go look for him. And Elisha, the great man of God, he tries to tell him. He says, you're not going to find Elijah. He's not here. And, and, and do you think that they would listen to him and, and uh, just accept what he says? No, they do not. And so they beg him, come on, let us go look. Let's go look. So finally he says, go look for Elijah. And so they spend the next three days trying to look for a missing Elijah or the body parts of Elijah. And they can't find Elijah anywhere. And so finally they come back and they tell him, well, I guess God took him supernaturally into heaven, just like you said. And Elisha says, duh, I told you so. Okay, that's the story. That's my own paraphrase, but that's what it is. So, so they're done there. So now after this, we get to the point of the story where it's now Elisha's turn. Elisha is now the chosen person of God to take up that mantle and to take up that reign and to be a prophet to Israel. Now, the Bible records over 20 great miracles that happened through the life and ministry of Elisha. Great miracles that helped people and it spurred people closer to God. But what happens next in our text is not one of them. So let's start reading 2 Kings chapter 2, and I want to start at verse 23. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, the words should be on the screens behind me. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. And as he's walking along the road, some boys came out of town and jeered at him. And they said, get out of here, Baldy. 
You just know it's going south from here, right? Get out of here, Baldy. That hurt. Look at that in Scripture. They say it twice. Get out of here, Baldy. They said, get out of here, Baldy. So he turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. And then as if it were no big deal, he went on to Mount Carmel and then returned to Samaria. You, I, how many of you guys have ever heard a sermon preached on this passage of scripture? Right? Pastor Ken, you picked a winner today. I, I promised you strange, right? I promised you weird, and I think we're there, right? Uh, how many of you guys have never heard that story in the Bible before? Right? Okay. How many of you guys, you've heard that there, you knew it was there, you just kind of ignore it, right? Okay, a couple of you, like, I have no idea what God is doing here. And so today, I'm just going to be real honest with you, I don't have... Um, uh, a couple, I don't have points or a strategy or something to challenge to you. So today I just want to break this down a little bit. And I'm going to break it down into three sections. One, I just want to look at initial observations from our text. Then I'm going to go for a deep dive into what the text is really telling us. And then lastly, I just want to apply it to our life. What does this text mean for us? So, so looking just at initial observations, just reading this text, it sounds pretty gruesome to me. Pretty gruesome, right? I mean, just about the part where two bears come out of the woods and maul 42 children. I mean, the rating just went from PG-13 to rated R. Right? It's pretty gruesome set. Uh, pretty gruesome scenario. Here Elisha is, he's walking into Bethel, and he comes across what the NIV says, some boys. Some boys. Now the English Standard Version uses the phrase, small boys. Okay, So there's some boys, there's small boys. Now if you are old school, you have a KJV. I know you're out there. Right? Some of you old-timers got that KJV. Your story gets even more gruesome because it uses the phrase little children. Little children. So our first impression is that this is a group of small boys, a group of little children who begin to make fun of Elisha. And they, be, they begin to make fun of him for his lack of hair. Which hurts. And they call him, hey, Baldy. I always thought bald was beautiful. Right? Uh, just my wife and the other bald guy in here. Right? Right? Bald is beautiful. And they begin to make fun of him and they begin to jeer at him. Now, I don't know about you, but when a group of small children begin to jeer at you, you have multiple options. You could jeer back a little bit, right? 
I may be bald, but your mama dresses you funny. Take that, right? Um, you could, you could um, not just gear back, but you could, what I do to my nieces and nephews who on occasion, like every time I see them, poke fun at me, I could play back with them, right? And I could say, oh yeah, well, I'm going to get you, and then I turn into the grizzly bear and go over there and tickle them to death, right? You could do that. They're just little kids, right? We could just do that. Um, you, so you could, you could play with them. You could jeer back at them. You could, if you're offended, you could scold them. You could say, now that's not very nice. You know, you need to respect your elders. Teach them a lesson. If you really want to teach them a lesson, you could go DEFCON 5 and you could say, oh yeah, well, I'm going to tell your mama. And when you get home, mama's going to beat you with a spatula. Because that's what moms do, right? Right? Mama's going to whoop you. Ha ha, joke's on you. Right? My mama don't care. I'm like an old man. Right? Or you could do probably what most of us would do. You could probably just ignore them. Wouldn't you just ignore them? Probably. Some small kids jeering. And so uh, it appears that in our text, Elisha does none of those things. So Elisha begins to curse them in the name of God. And don't act like you don't do it either, right? We curse people in the name of Jesus, right? Like, like when someone cuts you off in traffic and you want to give them a salute, but you're a Christian, so you do not. And say, you know what, Jesus, just get them. <laughs> Jesus, make it come back around. They're going to get theirs. Right? Oh, come on, we curse people, right? Come on, I do it when I watch football. I'm like, Lord, please let something happen to Aaron Rodgers. Please, just, just, I don't want him to hurt. I don't want him to suffer. Can't we just take him out for a few series? You know, so that we have a, you know what I mean? I'm a Christian. I don't wish, I don't want him to die or nothing. Just break a leg. <laughs> right? That's the only way the Bears are ever going to have a chance, guys. Come on. But, but sometimes we're in that same boat. And so Elisha, he begins to curse them in the name of God. And just as soon as Elisha prays, two bears come out of the woods, like Yogi and Babu. Right? Boo-boo? Not Babu. Yogi and Boo-boo. Babu is Jungle Book. All right, I'm sorry. Sorry, guys, my 70s cartoons are a little rusty. Yogi and Boo-Boo. I like Babu better. Sounds better. Hey, hey, Bob, hey, Boo-Boo. Okay. It's all coming back to me, folks. It's a rusty trap up here today. Um, but no, we're not going to call them Yogi and Boo-Boo today because those are friendly bears. So today, I have labeled our two friends Grizzly and Kodiak, right? I have a picture back here. Um, now, those are probably not Kodiak bears. I think those are Grizzly. 
The, our text does not tell us if they were koala bears, which would be kind of a neat imagery here. If two koala bears come out and rip 42 of them, that would be a sight to see. It doesn't tell us they were panda bears. It doesn't tell us if they were brown bears or black bears. It doesn't tell us if they were grizzly or kodiak. But they had to have been big bears, mama bears, uh, because of the amount of carnage that happened. And the NLV says that these two bears begin to maul them. The English Standard Version uses the word tore. I kind of like the Aramaic Bible in plain English. It uses the word lacerated. Right? We know what lacerated means. Right? Like, ooh, why do I have this hole here in my side? Oh, look, there's a bear claw. That's lacerated. Um, and the contemporary English version is maybe the most gruesome. It says they ripped them to pieces. Ripped to pieces. 42 of them. So the imagery that we get from this story is pure carnage. It's like a, a, a playground shooting before there were guns. In, in, we, we don't have guns, so we're just going to call in wild bears. They're more effective and cheaper. So we get this imagery, and we get this imagery that it's little kids being slaughtered because the man of God took offense at their name calling. Well, ain't that a downer? Right? This is what makes preachers look bad. Right? My Sunday school teacher never told us this story. Thank God they didn't. I mean, if my Sunday school teacher told me that, I mean, I might have behaved a little bit better. I might have sat up straight. I might have been afraid to come to church, afraid to say anything, afraid to do anything. Right? Um... If we just base our doctrine or base our mindset or base our thinking upon our initial observations, I'll bet you we're perplexed. I'll bet you we're confused a little bit. Because this story reads like something that is so anti-Christian. It's anti-everything that we believe in. right? Why would God kill little kids? That doesn't make sense. We question that. Why would there be capital punishment for what we would consider light offenses? Right? It doesn't make sense. How could Elijah go on serving as a man of God after he just called in two bears to kill 42 servants? How could he serve? To me... This sounds like a story that Elisha would want removed from his resume. You know, like when he's applying at his next church. They say, oh, Elisha, I see here on your resume, um, oh, you were with Elijah and you refused to, you know, to, to go away from him. And you were with him and you saw him go up into heaven and you received um, a double portion of his spirit. Oh, man, that is, that is awesome. Oh, Oh, then look, okay, the next thing is I see you and you're helping a widow and there's this miracles and you're supplying all this oil for a widow. That's, that's incredible. But there's a gap there. Tell me about that gap. Right? It sounds like something that you'd want to leave out of your resume. But God made sure that that little piece of scripture made it into the Bible 
And so I believe there's a message in it for us. So today we're going to take a deep dive into Scripture today. And the first thing that I want you to know about our text is that Elisha is heading towards the city of Bethel. And Bethel was a significant city in the Old Testament times. If you remember back and you trace the origins of Bethel back when God called Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I want you to leave your place. And I want you to follow me. And Abraham didn't know where he's going, but the Bible tells us that he followed God by faith. And Abraham left everything that he knew and he took everything with him. And he says he pitched his tent at Bethel. He pitched his tent at Bethel. Later we see Bethel being a place where Jacob would have a vision, um, a heavenly vision of his ladder. And Jacob would be the one that would officially call this land Bethel. Now Beth meaning house and El meaning God. And so Bethel would become historically to be known as the house of God. This place that, that Elisha is now going has traditionally been the house of God. It's like the church. It's like the epicenter there. And there was even a facility there where they would train younger prophets. It was, it was like a Bible school. And they would send them out from Bethel. But here in our text, in 2 Kings chapter 2, a lot of time has taken place between then and now. And Bethel would not be operating in the way that Bethel was intended to operate. In fact, many years before Elisha even showed up on the scene, there was an evil king, King Jeroboam. And Jeroboam would turn his heart towards the gods of this world. And he would turn himself towards idols. And he would place idols right there in the middle of Bethel. He would place a golden bull, which represented the God that delivered them out of Egypt. Now, I don't know about you, but if I remember right, it wasn't the Brahma bull that delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. So there is a little bit of revisionist history going on there. Where it wasn't God, it wasn't the great I am that delivered you, it was this idol that delivered you. This is the representation of it. And there would be a bull there in town and people there would, would come and they would offer their sacrifices unto the idol. And so Bethel became this place of idol worship. Which I think you know pretty clearly how God feels about idols. Right? You remember the Ten Commandments? Right? Point commandment number one and commandment number two. I'm the Lord, you should have no other gods before me. You should not make any graven images unto yourself. It's pretty clear how God feels about idol worship. Especially when there's idol worship happening in the house of God. And so this is setting the scene for us. That Elisha, the man of God, the prophet of God, is now heading into the house of false gods. He's now in enemy territory. He's now in dangerous um, 
a dangerous scene. And the Bible school that was there, that used to be sending prophets out into the world, are now a school sending false prophets. So he's heading into hostile territory when he encounters what first appears to be a group of children. Well, to understand this better, we trace it back to the original Hebrew word. And the original Hebrew word used for small children here in our text is naharim. And in the Hebrew, it can mean a variety of things. It can mean small children, that is true. But it can also uh, be uh, translated into meaning various age groups. The Bible uses this same word, naharim, to describe baby Moses in Exodus chapter 2, verse 6. But it also uses that same word to describe a fully grown Absalom in 2 Samuel 14, 21. So the Bible uses it not just for an infant, but also for um, a fully grown man, Absalom. And then if you want to get real technical, the root word there is, is uh, na'ar, which can also be used to designate a servant. It can designate an armor bearer. It can be uh, designate a king's official. And maybe most significantly in our text, it could also designate a priest. So this rowdy crowd on the playground that day weren't necessarily little kids like we had at our first impression. In fact, if after we talk about their taunting and the implications of our taunting, they're probably not little kids at all. They're probably well-advanced, past adolescents, maybe they're they're late teenagers, young men. And so now we begin to feel a little bit different about our story, don't we? I do. I do. I mean, God killing 42 little children, that's abhorrent. That's terrible. That's gruesome. God killing 42 teenagers, I, I kind of get it. Right? I can see that. Right? You guys ever been a youth pastor? I, I, I can understand that, right? You guys ever parented teenagers? It's a grace of God, man. Grace of God that you made 20. On a side note, I want you to know that oftentimes this is how the enemy attacks us as Christians. He uses pointed attacks to seemingly make us look like the bad guy. To make us look like the intolerant person when really, in fact, there's a bigger, deeper attack coming from under the surface. For years, I've wrestled this idea. How can you be pro-life? How can you be pro-life? Um, what about in cases of rape? In cases of incest? In cases when the mother's health is in danger? How can you be pro-life? That's so abhorrent. That's so intolerable. Aren't you considerate? Aren't you loving towards the mother? But in reality, only a half a percent of all abortions that were performed were due to rape or incest. And under 4% were due to health, the health of the, the baby or health of the mother. The other 95.5% were due to life choices. 
how could you be pro-life? And, and we hear this little argument like, and, and, and the same is kind of true as just from glancing at our story. How could God be so intolerant that he killed 42 children? Well, if you dig deeper, it's probably, they probably weren't children. And we know this a little bit, maybe by one of the proofs and the way that they mock Elisha. And they say, hey, Baldy. Right? Now that sounds like a kid, right? They, they say, get out of here, Baldy. Get out of here, Baldy. And I've, NIV says, get out of here, Baldy. But the King James Version gives us a little bit more accurate. It says, go up from here, Baldy. Go up. And that phrase, go up, is significant because they were not just mocking Elisha, but they were mocking Elijah, who had just been taken to heaven by whirlwind, by supernatural means. And there was controversy there because there was a group of people that didn't believe that it was supernatural. And there was this argument. And so this group of young teenagers there, young adults, Probably those that were going through the school of false prophecy were mocking Elisha, saying, go up, go up from here, just like Elijah did. And they were mocking that. And that's the way the world always works, doesn't it? The carnal always mocks the supernatural. What we don't understand, because we're viewing it through our human perception, we begin to mock. And that's what they do. They begin to mock Elisha uh, uh, and Elijah. If it, it wasn't a supernatural home going, it was a tornado. Go up from here. We wish you would just go up and go away like he did. And the devil still uses the same tactics in our church. Oh, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's emotionalism. Oh, you didn't have a salvation experience. You had a brainwashing experience. And if, if, the brain, I mean, if the mocking doesn't work on that level, then the enemy always resorts to name-calling. Right? Because that always works. Right? You guys ever been in arguments where you're having an argument and that person is losing? And so all of a sudden we go from having this, this jarring back and forth to now it's name calling? Or do you guys just start out with name calling? Right? Come on, you guys are parents. We've been in these things. Oh yeah, I can't win this argument. So you're, you're bald. Man, that hurts. It still hurts. You're bald. Hey, baldy. As if being bald were a negative thing. Absolutely not. Bald is beautiful. It's a solar panel for awesomeness. Thank you, God. Hey, when you got it, you got it. I know you guys are all going to come back next week with shaved heads. I can feel it. Being bald in those days was a negative thing because it was associated with being sick. In fact, those with leprosy oftentimes had their hair fall out. And so they were making fun of him and calling him 
relationship, they are calling him an outcast, kind of like someone with leprosy. And maybe they name call him Baldy. They name call us today uneducated, deplorables, whatever. The world labels us so many things. And so as we're here in the middle of our story, we find out this isn't really just an isolated story between the prophet Elisha and some young children. It's more or less an ongoing battle between God and his worship and idols in their worship. And that's what this story is really about. And so Elisha, in a holy retaliation, begins to call on God to defend himself. And the NIV reads, he begins to call out a curse on them. Now the Hebrew word for curse used here is call el, which means to make light of. To make light of. And so, in fact, Elisha is, in fact, offering a gesture to them to let them know that what they are saying to him, that they're jeering of him, is of little importance to him. It's insignificant, which I want you to take note because that is how you and I should uh, approach the plans of the enemy today, as if they are insignificant. Satan has a plan for you. I promise you he does. But it is insignificant compared to the plan that God has for you. His plan is insignificant. I, I guarantee that Satan is going to call you names, but that is insignificant compared to what God calls you. Satan's thrust is insignificant compared to God's omnipotence. His plans are insignificant. That's how you and I should operate. So when the enemy comes in like a flood and it's jeering and it's, it's crossing our path and it's not allowing us to, to move forward and it's stifling us, we need to understand that the enemy's plans are insignificant to us. Insignificant to what God has for us. Insignificant to who we are in Christ. We need to treat everything that way. Now here's the part of the story that I do not want you to miss. This is where it gets good. This is where it turns from PG to rated R. All right, this is the good part. To defend the prophet of God, come out of the woods, Grizzly and Kodiak. Yeah, you could write down Grizzly and Kodiak. For that scripture. You could write down Yogi and Babu. Hey, you say it how you say it, I'll say it how I say it. Right? Now the Hebrew word used for woods here is yahar. Yahar. Which means woods, but it can also be translated honeycomb. And that is significant. Honey in the Old Testament was a symbol for God's promises. It was a symbol of, of God's word. It was a symbol of God's enlightenment to his people. If you remember, God took the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. And he led them supernaturally, you know, 
through the wilderness to the promised land, which is a land flowing of milk and honey. And so honey began, is a symbol for God's promises. And so it's out of God's word, it's out of God's promises that these two bears come to defend Elisha. And the same is true of us, that in our moments of need, in our moments of distress, when it feels like all hell is breaking loose and everything is collapsing on us, that you and I can stand firm on God's promises. We can stand firm on God's word and allow God's word to defend us. Allow God's promises to defend us. Allow God to fight our battles for us. He learns to fight our battles when we learn to stand upon his word. I'm going to ask the musicians to come and join me because I'm going to narrow this down. Well, what does this story mean to me? What does this mean to me? Well, the story goes that the bears came out of the wood and mauled 42 of the group there. What the Bible doesn't tell us is really how big of a group it really was. We don't know how big the group was there seeing. We don't know how big the obstacle was. We just know that 42 of them were mauled that day. Could have been several hundred bears. And it just says that the two bears came and mauled 42 of them. Well, the Hebrew word used for tor here, used for maul, is the word bakah. And it means to cleave, to break open, or to break through. Baka, to cleave, to break open, to break through. And it's interesting that this is not the first time that we see this Hebrew word baka used in scripture. We also see this same word used when Moses was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and they come to a hard place. They come to the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is chasing after them and they're surrounded and they feel like they're hopeless in that moment because they're trapped. They're in a moment of weakness where they can't possibly fight Pharaoh's army and they can't possibly move forward because there's this great obstacle. And that's when God used this same word, baka. In Exodus chapter 14, 21, to describe how God parted the Red Sea. God broke open the Red Sea. God broke through the Red Sea. And it's the same imagery that we see here in Elijah, in the midst of his opposition, in the midst of the enemy taunting and the enemy attacking, that God, Baca, he broke through them. And he made a way for his prophets to get where he was going. And I want you to know that that's how God does things today too. God is still the God of breakthroughs. Amen. Thank you, the three of you. Right? Our God is still the God of breakthroughs. He's still the one that breaks through our opposition. Would you stand to your feet?
with me today. And I want to begin to to close this out. Maybe just bow your heads for a moment. And and we're going to sing a song. And I'm going to invite you to an altar in, in, in just a moment. But maybe you're here today and you feel like a little bit like Elisha in this story. Because maybe the enemy has sent some voices your way to discourage you. And you've been listening to those voices for far too long. And those voices have called you every name in the book except for who you truly are in God. And those voices have told you that you can't, that you're not good enough, that what God, God doesn't have anything for you. And, and there's so many voices that they're beginning to seep in. I want you to know that we need to hear the voice of the Lord. Our God is a God of breakthroughs. You need a breakthrough today. Maybe you're here today and you're facing obstacles that are blocking your path and saying, God, I know that you want me to move forward, but it just seems so difficult. There's obstacles that are there. There are things that the enemy has set in place that are just blocking it, and I can't get free from it. I can't seem to move around. I can't seem to go through. God is the one who makes a way for us. If you're here today and you feel that, I'm going to invite you to an altar at this time. Would you find a place of prayer? Would you press in? Would you seek after God today? Would you take a step of faith and move out of your seat and move to a place where God can meet you? Will you do that today? If you're here today and you just say, God, I need a breakthrough in my life. I need you to do something. Would you just come and, and find a place to pray as we just begin to worship the Lord today? Let's just worship today. God, today move. God, move in this place.
ask our worship team just to keep playing and then keep leaving. But the Lord's just impressed upon me just um, just to pray for those that need a, a, a physical healing, a physical touch. Maybe you're here today. Maybe maybe there's something that's been going on for a long time. Maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's for somebody else. But I just feel like if you're in the house today, you want prayer for a, a physical need to break through in your body. And I want you to come and, and, and if we could have some elders come and we'll lay some hands on you and anoint you with oil, but we want to pray together. Would you, would you just come and would you just continue and close your feet?
Thank you, Lord. God is so good. I guess the end of the story is a little insignificant, but it's kind of important. Verse 25 of our text tells us, Then he went to Mount Carmel, and there there he returned to Samaria. He went on doing what God called him to do. God made a way for him. God took the obstacles and removed them. God took the plans of the enemy and tossed them aside. Elijah performing miracle after miracle, sharing the goodness of God with his people. And so that's what you and I have in our future. We step forward in faith, knowing that God is going to make a way where there seems to be no way. Amen. 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 Let's pray and then we'll we'll dismiss today. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I'm just so thankful, God, for what you're doing in our midst, God, that, Lord, that breakthroughs are happening. Lord, that we may not always see them immediately. Lord, you might be working in the background. You might be working in, you know, causing small things to come together to move mountains. God, all as I know is that I'm going to be like Elisha. And I'm going to stand on your word. I'm going to stand on your promises. And I'm going to stand on your truth. And I'm going to allow God to fight those battles. Because God, you do exceedingly above and beyond all that I could ever imagine or comprehend. And so now, Lord, we yield and we give you every situation. Every situation that was represented at an altar. Every situation represented in this place. For every body that was broken that needed healing, God. Lord, we place it before you. God, continue to move and continue to work. And I pray those things in your name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Church, you guys are dismissed. Would you share some fellowship one with another today? Uh, there's sign-up sheets. Remember, if you want to go to Franklin Graham, you want to carpool or, or just uh, hang out, just talk to me afterwards. God bless you guys.